0: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is Reg Watch by RegulatorWatch.com. I'm here in Warsaw, Poland, for the Global Forum on Nicotine, and here with David Sweeney. The Canadians are (laughs) here. We are Poland. (laughs) It's been a while since uh, I've talked with you on the show. What the hell is going on with Canada? Don, good question. Uh, I think the um, we have flawed
1: legislation to begin with, but the I think the biggest problem we have is that the approach Health Canada has, has ended up taking on nicotine is completely out of sync with the, the, the approach that's been taken with other areas of, of mental health and, and addictions. So here we have a government that, that's showing real empathy and understanding and doing public health work. You know The basic stuff about meet people where they are, you know, understand their lived experience, empower them to make better decisions about their own health. So we move to things like safe injection sites and uh, looking at cleaning up drug supply, decriminalizing small quantities of narcotics, you know, understanding that we can't just use an abstinence only approach. We can't use stigma. We can't use shame. You know, there's reasons that people are using opioids. We, we have to deal with that. And we've, we've taken the same approach in dealing with other drugs and mental health conditions, and yet here we are with our leading cause of preventable death. Which, in many ways, is the simplest one to deal with. It's not just that cigarette smoking causes more deaths in Canada than all these other causes combined, but it's really simple to deal with. You know, compared to these other issues we deal with, you know, with cigarettes, it's all about the smoke. It's not the drug. It's not nicotine. It's the smoke. Get rid of the smoke, you solve the problem. And unlike other issues, this is something where people can change their behavior virtually immediately. You know, if you do something like. Say let's move to electric cars. People go years between they buy before they buy another car. And when we talk about changing a nicotine product, they're buying them every day. Every day you get a chance to change this. And if we simply use basic policy decisions, like let's give people truthful information about relative risk, let's give them access to a range of products that might meet their needs. Let's assess that. Let's look at what more we can do. How do we? Power people to make better decisions and we've not done that and, and what we've ended up with instead is more stigma uh, more coercion and fear-based campaigns the latest being let's put a warning on each individual cigarette well you know imagine if, if somebody proposed doing that about you know other drugs or other issues of mental health to say our surveys tell us only 4% of Canadians know that vaping is significantly less hazardous than smoking How do we deal with that? Well, why don't we have more scare stories? And we know that fear-based campaigns, you know, this is basic cognitive dissonance. First-year psychology, Brent, that if you use fear-based messages, they are only effective if people have clear, actionable steps they can take to deal with that.
0: Otherwise, they just have to dismiss it because there's nothing they can do. So two things on that, first being That, what would the response be if Health Canada wanted to tattoo some kind of a message on every heroin user in the country, you know, to brand them in some kind of a manner? Right. Uh, That that would, I mean, that's incredible. Nobody would ever accept that. Yep. They used to think it was a good idea to throw them in jail.
1: Uh, You know, that'll show them. We'll really punish them for that. Why don't we scare them about how these drugs are going to kill them? Well, and then we realize that if you've got somebody who's addicted to something, if you've got somebody who's dependent on it, scaring them, threatening to jail them, threatening to do harm to them isn't an appropriate way to deal with the problem. You know, we need to identify what's causing the problem. We need to meet them where they are and help them make better decisions. And then we get to to tobacco and now, forget all that other stuff. We'll stigmatize these people. We'll use fear. We won't give them viable options. We won't even allow into the country some of the products that can meet their needs and save their lives. and think that you know somehow this makes sense because when we're saying that we won't stigmatize people who are using other drugs we won't stigmatize people with mental health issues but we will stigmatize smokers to a very large extent Brent those are the same people you know the people who are smoking cigarettes you know many of them have you know the use of these other drugs or they do have mental health issues and we have decided we're still going to
0: stigmatize them. So help me understand why the discussion today is different than pre-the TVPA. I find so often that it sounds like we're having a conversation in a country that did not legalize vaping. Vaping is legal in this country. Health Canada put its stamp of approval on it. How are we still having the same arguments like pre-vaping? Well, I think the the problem that we had was that Uh, In effect, it wasn't
1: that uh, vaping was illegal in Canada uh, because vape shops were everywhere and many of the vape shops when Health Canada would say we haven't authorized this would say come and charge me I'll see you in court because they were looking at what's happened on issues of other drugs such as the Insight case on safe injection sites saying the Supreme Court of Canada was very clear that people have a right to life and having access to a lower risk drug, even if it was an illegal drug, was a right that Canadians had. They had a right to a safe injection site. So Health Canada might have said, we haven't authorized this, but the view of the vape community was, we can do this, you know, this is guaranteed to us under the Charter of Rights. So I don't think Health Canada could have banned the product even if they wanted to, or even if they wanted to enforce it, the courts wouldn't let them. So they thought, we need to have something to regulate it. And then I think they got caught between on the one hand we have a public health approach of what we need to do here. On the other hand we have all these very moralistic, absolutist, abstinence only groups that unfortunately have got control of some of our, uh, the anti-tobacco parts of our health community. And, And somehow they tried to mesh this. And it's like you can't take rational and irrational and find a middle ground. So we ended up with legislation that did things like made it illegal to tell people the truth about relative risk. You know, there are fines, you go to jail for doing that. Like if we said, we'd like to bring Swedish snus into Canada and tell the millions of Canadians who smoke cigarettes that there's decades of experience to tell us this is way less hazardous, it can save your life. And saying, would we get an order of Canada for saving those lives? No, we could go to jail for telling people the truth. That's the sort of legislation we got. Then we had the anti- Nicotine people, you know, the, the people who really see that they're fighting evil uh, rather than battling for public health. No different, really, than the, the sort of people who ran the war on drugs and uh, decided that stigma was the way to deal with mental health, etc. Them trying to misrepresent what people, what, the, the facts on, on nicotine, the facts on vaping, very successfully because you've closed down communication from people who want to sell the products and give people truthful information, but you've allowed, in some cases funded, the groups that are passing out the misinformation. And that's how we end up with the the public just so misled that only 4% of Canadians now
0: recognize that vaping is significantly less hazardous than smoking. And is there not actually in the legislation, and I know the answer to this, because we've covered it a lot, and you and I talked about it before, um, the TVPA became law when it was Bill S-5, and that's the fact that the legislation enshrines vaping as a health hazard. Yeah, well, it's, it's looking at what might go wrong, and th- this isn't all that
1: unusual for uh, a Department of Health when they're, they're looking at legislation. It's, we need to protect the public. So we need to, to be the barrier, the, the protector, to prevent anything bad from reaching the public. You know, that's how our drug regulation works, for instance. It, uh, it isn't that Health Canada goes out and says, we want these pharmaceuticals available to help people. It's that a pharmaceutical company has to prove to them they're safe and effective in order to be able to get in, which is you know, why there's some products that aren't available in Canada, because it isn't in the economic interest of anybody to bring something forward that could help 200 Canadians. It's, it's not going to be economically viable. That same thing happens here. So instead of saying, what can we do proactively to help Canadians, it's how do we protect them from anything bad that might happen, and let's look at that as if the cigarette smoking problem and all those diseases aren't even there. You will just look at what might go wrong with something like vaping and protect people from that. We'll tell them about the risks that might be there. And it's like telling people about all the risks of a COVID treatment without telling what the risks
0: are if you don't get treated. Yeah, I mean, there is no room to actually talk publicly at all about any of the benefits of vaping yeah. without offending the, le- the law, breaking the law. Right. And uh, and if you do are talking, it's a health hazard. That I mean, that's the only definition of vaping that's available in Canada. Now, does Health Canada not have some responsibility uh, to stand up for the decision it made in terms of reviewing all of the science and, uh, and approving uh, these products. Uh, how come they're not being held to account for malfeasance?
1: Well I, I think there is more pressure in Health Canada on this now and we'll, we'll see it with the submissions that have gone in as a result of the, the mandatory review of the legislation. You know Health Canada for whatever reason tried, tried to limit what people would say in terms of what they thought about the Uh, Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, but the parliament has said you need to review this legislation. It was all based on the idea that we're afraid the vaping products could lead people to smoking and therefore we have to really hammer the vaping products. And in reality what we've seen is vaping products are moving people away from smoking. And then the evidence internationally is just like we've seen with so many other products and services that whenever you have lower risk products, lower risk activities, they move people away from the higher risk ones. You know, it isn't that safer cars cause people to go out and buy more 62 Corvairs and ride them faster, Is that they, they stop buying the unsafe, they move to safer. People are moving to electric cars, it isn't like they're saying, I'll get an electric car but then I'll drive my F-350 pickup truck even more and even faster. People switch, it's substitution effects. We're seeing that in country after country as people get access to lower risk alternatives. We see it even when there's a limited choice of alternatives. You know, Japan being a good example, where essentially it's only heated products. But in six years, cigarette sales have fallen by over 46% uh, because it was an alternative. You know, no different than people moving to unleaded gas from leaded gas. You know, we've seen these transitions. And the idea of saying, we will stand aside or we'll stand in the way of that, rather than we're going to try to facilitate it. So when we see things like the, the uh, new nicotine pouch products that in parts of the, the Western United States, I mean parts close to British Columbia, they've taken over 10% of the market in a very short period of time. And you, Well, if it's that big a deal in Montana, surely there must be a huge market for that in Alberta. Well, it's illegal in Alberta, you know, it's not allowed in under our legislation. And it isn't like Health Canada is saying, oh my God, how do we get this on the market? you know, we can save a lot of lives. It's that they're saying, oh, well, you know, that's just the way the law works. Can't get that one into Canada. So that that we really need to rethink this to say, what we've got is a huge cause of death and disease. You know, Health Canada is saying 48,000 Canadians are dying each year from cigarette smoking. It's all because of the inhalation of smoke. And we could give people what they need without the smoke. So huge problem, real simple solution and it's not happening or it's not happening fast enough, we could change that. You know, We could probably get rid of a large majority of the cigarette smoking in Canada within two to three years by really simple things. Like we want to have a range of products. We want people to have accurate information. We want to use risk proportionate taxation and regulation to nudge people toward the, the lower risk products we'd have
0: a public health revolution. It's there, it's staring us in the face. But I mean, it, it looks apparently clear that they're not going to embrace that. If you read the uh, nicotine concentration regulatory analysis document, the flavor ban regulatory analysis, I mean, the Health Canada outright states that one of the things that can mitigate the loss of vapors for your business if you happen to produce cigarettes, people will smoke more of your your combustible yeah, Yeah,
1: so you're fine. Yeah, you'll you'll just sell cigarettes to people instead of vaping products, so what's to worry about other than that we're Health Canada and we're supposed to be protecting the health of Canadians and they're going to die now because, I mean, so there, there needs to be a rethinking. Part of my optimism on this is that we have seen rethinking on narcotics despite international narcotics protocols that Canada decided to ignore because they're not in the interest of public health. Science is advanced, our interest in humanism is there, we're saving lives. So, if we need to decriminalize small quantities of narcotics in British Columbia, if we need to have safe injection sites, if we need to have needle exchange programs, if, we're going to do that because it saves lives. Uh, and when we're moving that way and all these other issues, we have this huge inconsistency now with, you know, we're going to treat Tobacco and nicotine way out here, while we're treating all these things rationally. When you have that sort of inconsistency, it can't last a long time. And I would think either we have to move tobacco policy, nicotine policy, into the realm of the rational, into something that's closer to what we're doing on things like opioids, or we run the risk that it closes the other way. That say some new government decides, my gosh, you know, why are we doing all this to try to deal with people who are using drugs? My we've got to go back to you know, abstinence only, just say no, bigger fines, prison terms, uh, you know, close down uh, the safe injection sites, etc. And that's the risk Health Canada has because somehow that inconsistency is going to end and you can either work on it now to try to end it in a rational way that's consistent with health policy or it could be closed in the future in a way that fits somebody's
0: moralistic uh, beliefs. And unfortunately it's not just Health Canada because of course there's now an excise tax yeah. coming, and that has the potential to be a nuclear bomb. Yeah, and they have the potential to not
1: do that. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's, there's, there's no reason to to say you can't stop a bad policy before it's through, and there's no reason to say you can't revoke a bad policy after it is through. So they can do that, but they could also use it as an opportunity to look at other things. You know, when we talk about Swedish um, matches, uh, uh, Swedish Snooze. I, we've ended up with a system of taxation for smokeless tobacco products in Canada that make them a non-competitive alternative to cigarettes. They're much more expensive. You know, why would we do that? They're a low-risk product. So we're moving people who would have used a low-risk product into using cigarettes because they're cheaper because of tax that was pushed forward by abstinence only. People said, oh gosh, did we do that? We've, oh, wow, there's nothing, nothing we can do about that now. Well, let's reevaluate that. You know, there's a lot of smokeless tobacco use in, uh, in Alberta. It was associated with oil and gas workers. You know, why would we try to make that more expensive than cigarettes rather than go the way that Sweden did? You know, when they did their transition uh, from cigarettes to, uh, to smokeless tobacco, they used differential taxes such that a can of Snus only cost half as much as a pack of cigarettes. And a can of Snus lasted twice as long as a pack of cigarettes. So the effective of cost was one quarter. And when you look at what happened with you know, cigarette sales falling as new sales went up, that made sense. It's just like when countries adjusted the tax on fuels so that leaded gasoline now costs more than unleaded gasoline, same thing. Leaded sales go way down, people replace it. Substitution effect. We can do that. We could do it with smokeless. We could do it with the new nicotine pouches. We can do it with vaping products. We could do it with heated tobacco products. There's a whole range of other alternatives that we see here in, in Warsaw that, that are coming forward because entrepreneurs have this huge incentive. You've got over a billion tobacco users or smokers worldwide spending over 800 billion US dollars a year, over a trillion Canadian dollars, buying a product most of them don't want. Segment that market, find alternatives, you solve a public health problem, the private sector allows it to happen. It doesn't require government money. Consumers simply move their expenditure to something that doesn't kill them. Bingo, you solve solved the problem.
0: We need to facilitate that rather than stand in the way of it. Let me ask you, you were here at the Global Forum on Nicotine, as we all are. You know Why is an event like this important? Well,
1: I found these uh, meetings to be incredibly important because you're bringing together people to have like truly rational discussions about this. There is you know, none of the moralistic high ground stuff that I've experienced with a lot of anti-tobacco conferences now where they really think that they're fighting sin or they think they're fighting big tobacco and how do you fight big tobacco? You ban them from having any alternative to cigarettes because well cigarettes is where they make all their money and cigarettes is what they know how to do and cigarettes is what kills people but why don't we make sure they keep selling cigarettes? Uh, I mean you've got a whole lot of people who think they're fighting evil without taking the time to even understand what they think is the evil they're fighting, and they end up doing things to protect the very companies doing the very thing that upset us in in the first place.